You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. I am so excited to answer some listener questions and reader questions here on the podcast today. And full disclosure, I did pad this with a few questions that I just wanted to ask myself so I could talk about things I want to talk about. So I'm being super transparent. (laughs) Um, I also want to just put out a call. If you have any questions for me that you ever want me to answer on the podcast, whether it's a question about me or if it's advice seeking for something that's happening in your life, you're always welcome to reach out. It's hello at peakcoaching.co. And that's P-I-Q-U-E. So I'm going to go ahead and hop in here. Given the state of the environment, what are you doing to be more environmentally conscious? This has been on my mind a lot lately, and I am actually looking for a person who specializes in zero waste environmental hacks. So if you know anybody who would like to chat about that on my podcast, please feel free to send them my way. But in the meantime, I'll just share some of the things that I've been doing. So the highlight of my life lately has been my compost pile. (laughs) So I live in a studio apartment. So this can absolutely be done if you don't have land or if you don't have a house. So what I do is I collect my compost throughout the week in a bag that I keep in my freezer to minimize the smell. In full transparency, It does clog up the freezer a fair amount, but it's worth it to me. So I keep it in the freezer and then I take it to my local farmer's market where they do food waste gathering. And so I take it there every Sunday. To me, it's actually a really cool way to be part of my community. And so I always joke that I look around at everyone else who's composting and I'm like, (laughs) I see you. I see you. And it's had that surprising effect of really making me feel much more connected to the community and feel like that bond has been strengthened with my neighborhood. So that's been exciting. If you are looking to compost, obviously, if you have land, it's going to be slightly easier. But if you're in a city or if you don't have much land, I recommend just Googling compost drop-off in your area. And so there are some services that come and pick up the compost from your house. There's other ones where you have drop-off points. Some of the ones where they do pick up from your house charge. So in D.C., I know it's about $30 a month with Compost Cab. The thing is, I consider it a bit of a charitable donation. And to me, it's worth the cost. So if you can change your mindset instead of being like, I'm paying someone to pick up my crap and have it be more like I'm paying to be more environmentally friendly because it's worth it to me. That's how I would justify it in my mind if I did decide to pay for a service like Compost Cab. The other things that I've been doing in terms of waste are a trash audit. And so that is looking at every single thing that you're throwing away and asking yourself, how could this be more environmentally friendly? And so that's helped me tweak a lot of different things in terms of what I throw away. So it's made me more cognizant of plastic. It's made me more cognizant of paper towels. So I put my paper towels away so I'm not as tempted to just grab them one off. I'm more likely to grab a cloth now. This tip makes me laugh because it's so simple, but I remember the first time I read it on a blog years ago, and I still cite it to this day. I'm really cognizant of chemicals, and so I have actually made my own cleaner, which is the best thing ever. It's just in a little glass spray bottle. I do a few drops of peppermint essential oil, 
white vinegar and water. So about half vinegar, half water. And it is amazing. And it leaves your house smelling like peppermint. So it's great. And it's fewer chemicals. So uh, that's my recommendation. If anyone has any responses to anything that I'm saying, I just want to be clear. I'm not an expert. And if you have better advice, please, please, please reach out to me. Hello at PeteCoaching.co because I am 100% open to getting better at this. I also have changed from face wipes, so having the chemical face wipes that you throw away every night, into a microfiber cloth. And so you can find those on different websites, but what they do is they're microfiber, you combine it with water, and it takes all your makeup off. It's crazy, like even mascara. Uh, So that's been really great for me. And frankly, I think it's probably better for my skin than putting a bunch of chemicals on at night. Another product that I'm genuinely excited to promote is the Keep Cup. So I do not get a commission, although I would totally be sponsored by them. And I love it. I actually found it on Instagram through a friend and decided to buy one. It's a glass cup. And for me, there's something about drinking from glass that's so much more appealing than drinking from one of those nasty, dirty thermoses. I know they're not actually dirty, but I just don't like that I can't see what's inside. So the glass has been awesome for me, and I'm actually in the habit of bringing it into coffee shops now. Um, I think it's really about finding the kind of cup that you like to carry around and then actually doing it. And keep in mind, you get your cup discount. This one feels like complete second nature to me at this point because I live in a city and I feel like you get shamed in the city if you don't do this, but it's bringing the reusable bags into the grocery store. And so I just have several bags. I keep them stacked together and I just grab them before I go to the grocery store. If you have a car, keep them in the car. It's really just about building the habit. Um, But that has seriously cut down on the number of paper and plastic bags that I use. I have a friend who's a freelance writer who sent me some scary stats about how much energy just one load of clothes in the dryer uses. And so I've been more cognizant of that. And I have been hanging some of my clothes on a dryer rack. And so if you're thinking that you don't want to go out and spend money and consume more in order to consume less, I totally get it. Another option is to hang clothes over your shower curtain rod. One of the other big things that I've done before we move on to other topics is buy those silicone bags that are reusable. So instead of using Ziploc bags, I just use the reusable bags. I keep coffee grounds in them. I keep um, anything for the freezer. So I'll freeze kale for my smoothies or I use them on the go for little snacks and then I just throw it back in my purse and wash it and reuse it. So those are great. What are your top book recommendations for nonfiction reads? I love recommending books to people. My old coworker <laughs> told me that she had an Evernote of just books Christina's recommended. <laughs> so I take this job very, very seriously, and I only recommend the best books. You can find all of my book recommendations and the books that have been recommended by all of my podcast guests at peakcoaching.co slash books. So that's, again, P-I-Q-U-E. I'll always spell it out for you. And I did put together a list of my top recommendations that I think are going to be the most interesting to the most number of people. The number one is Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. So my mom is the one who originally introduced me to this man. He is a Quaker, and he does reference God a lot in the book. But I think if you can either appreciate the God sentiment or if you don't, replace it with whatever word works for you. So whether it's universe or 
uh, connectedness, anything that makes it so you can actually appreciate the message behind it, which I think is incredibly valuable. And I will just say I recommended it to a friend who's not religious at all, and she said she absolutely loved it and recommended it to several different people. So freaking love that book. The second is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. So she basically does a manual on creative living through fear. I actually saw her speak recently, and I found it really interesting because somebody asked her if she was going to keep doing her podcast, and she said no. And she said the reason for that is that people who are not doing creative work, 100% of the time, it comes back to fear in some way, shape, or form. So she was like, I'm tired of having the same conversation. But I think that's a really interesting perspective is that there's always fear that's keeping us from our creative endeavors. And I think you see that mirrored a lot in the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. That's not one of my recommendations officially right here, but it is one that I love. And so that idea that if you are one of those people who says, I'm not creative, there may be a creative spark in you that you just need to recover and bring back out. And so that's what Big Magic is all about. One of my other favorite books is a Brene Brown book. Surprise, surprise. But it was recommended to me way back in the day by my business partner, Sarah. So shout out to Sarah. And she has the best book recommendations. I trust everything she recommends to me. The subtitle of Rising Strong is How the Ability to Reset Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. So in typical Brene Brown fashion, it's a lot about vulnerability. And in this book specifically, it's about picking yourself up after failure. One of the biggest takeaways I got from this book was this idea that in a situation where we are with somebody else and we have our expectations that we're bringing and they have their expectations that they're bringing, but we never actually articulate those expectations, we tend to cross wires. And that's where disappointment in each other generally stems from is we've never actually expressed our expectations. And so one of the most helpful lines from that book for me has been the story I'm telling myself. So the way that Brene Brown actually explains this tool is basically you're telling the other person your reading of the situation and simultaneously admitting that you know it can't be 100% accurate. So my business partner and I used to use this a lot where I would say, listen, the story I'm telling myself is that you think I'm lazy and I'm not doing my share of the work. Or the story I'm telling myself is that you think I'm overbearing and I'm doing too much. Actually, Funny enough, there's been times where I've been like, the story I'm telling myself is both of those things at the exact same time. So isn't that convenient? But I just absolutely love this tool, presenting to the other person the story that you're telling so that they can actually clarify what's going on for them. One of my other book recommendations is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And the first time I heard of the upper limit problem that he talks about in the book, I was like, no, that's dumb. I don't know. But then I reread it and I was like, oh, yeah. There may be a point there. <laughs> so in the words of Marie Forleo, and I will link this article below, she says, each of us has an internal thermometer for how much success, wealth, happiness, love, and intimacy we'll let ourselves experience. That's our upper limit setting, kind of like our success comfort zone. So the idea is that as we move up in success and we become closer to the person we want to be and closer to those goals that we have, we actually self-sabotage in order to keep ourselves playing small. So again, this idea did not used to resonate with me, and now I actually see it play out a lot. So you may get sick right when you're about to have success or right when you do have success, or you may burn out right when you're kind of on the cusp of things, or 
um, you may sabotage a relationship by picking a fight. So all kinds of examples, but super interesting book and then strategies for how to overcome the upper limit problem. He also talks about the concept of a zone of genius, which is where our skills, natural talents, and interests all align to make us the very, very best at what we do in terms of our vocation. And the last book that I highly recommend is Deep Work by Cal Newport. And deep work is about this idea that as a society, we're attention starved, we have a lack of focus, and we are constantly multitasking, and we are always pulled in a billion different directions. And that's a product of a lot of things, including technology. And so he talks about strategies to actually overcome that distractedness and focus in And it actually ties really well to the idea of flow, which are these concentrated periods of time where you lose track of time because you're so focused in. I've been doing my own experimentation with deep work, so that includes long periods of time with my phone on airplane mode, as well as batching tasks like email marketing and podcasting, and turning off notifications from email as well as social media. I actually have a huge, huge project coming down the pipeline with deep work and flow and a few other concepts all tied together. So definitely stay tuned for that. What does your morning routine look like? So this is actually a funny question because I don't normally adhere to the idea of having a super static morning routine, except that I have been recently. And so I started doing morning pages again, as you've heard me talk about on the podcast. And so what I do is I set my alarm for 6.30. I set my coffee maker to go off. So I wake up to the lovely aroma of coffee brewing. Again, I do not get paid for this, but I highly recommend the Southern Pecan Coffee from Harris Teeter mixed with Starbucks coffee. It's the best. And I generally open the window. So I let that cool morning breeze in. I get under my blanket on my sectional, which is exactly why I purchased my sectional, so I could sit by the window with a book. (laughs) And I do my three pages of unscripted morning pages where I dig into my intuition and I dig into just all the random thoughts that are circulating around in my brain. And so I keep my phone off during that time. I keep it on airplane mode. And my recent thing has been having at least four uninterrupted chunks of one hour without my phone. So again, four hours total, but one hour chunks during the course of the day. And so that generally counts as about one hour when I'm doing my morning pages that I'm not checking my phone, which is a really good feeling. And doing my morning pages before I even have a chance to be flooded with information in the morning has been awesome. So I used to check my phone first thing and I do not anymore, but it takes work to get there. So that's the one consistent thing I do in the morning is coffee and morning pages. And then from there, my day just kind of flows. And so um, obviously, I'm working on my business, but it could be a workout. It could be getting right into work, which often it is. It could be talking to my sister and my niece real quickly. There could be any other number of things that I do in the morning. But I find it interesting. I went through Jess Lively's Flow with Intention online course a while back when I actually did have a corporate job. And one thing she talks about is how infrequently people do things that they like in the morning and that we have these ideas of this rigid morning routine that we basically 
plow our way through in order to have quote unquote success. And what she says is, why don't you have an amazing morning that you actually love? I'm paraphrasing here. But it was super interesting for me to play with it. So what I started doing was I would actually maybe watch some friends in the morning because I love friends. It always makes me laugh. Or I'd like watch a little bit of stand-up comedy. Or sometimes I would take a bath in the morning, which felt so wild. I would like joke at work. I was like, oh, you know, I take morning baths. I'm wild. And so it's this idea that your morning can be fun. I know. Revolutionary. <laughs> you could read in the morning. But usually people are either waking up late and rushing to work or they're waking up early, but they're doing all of the things that they feel like they should be doing instead of doing the things that they actually enjoy doing. So one quick tip there is if you have something that you love doing at night that's keeping you up late, so maybe it's like watching your favorite TV show or reading, then you can take that activity and turn it into a morning activity to start your day from a cool place or a walk, whatever it is. What are some quotes that you're loving recently? I have a love-hate relationship with quotes because sometimes I feel like they are completely overused and people stop questioning them and just take them and make a whole culture around it. So I think that's how the hustle mentality got started. But I do have a few that I have actually compiled within the book that I'm writing, which is called The Year of Intuition. And I am about 50 single-spaced pages in, and I am starting each vignette that I'm writing with a quote. So I do have a few that I'd love to share. You've heard me mention this on the podcast before, but I love the quote, I've never seen any life transformation that didn't begin with the person in question finally getting tired of their own bullshit. And that is an Elizabeth Gilbert quote. Another quote that I have in my book that I got from my mom is from Florida Scott Maxwell. And it's, life does not accommodate you. It shatters you. It is meant to, and it couldn't do it better. Every seed destroys its container or else there would be no fruition. I also really, really love quotes that have to do with light. So one that I love is, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And that's by Leonard Cohen by way of Brene Brown. And last but not least, a question about how to divide your time when it comes to new projects. So if that's not something that's on your mind, I still recommend listening all the way through. You might find some valuable questions to ask yourself with whatever's coming up in your life. The question was, one of my biggest struggles is deciding how much time to dedicate to new projects when I know I need to invest to see the returns, but also it distracts from earning in the here and now. I'm just going to read my response to her. Thanks for the great question. As a person with a billion new ideas at all times, I can relate to the feeling of the excitement over a new project, but I also understand your desire and need to consistently earn revenue now. Not redirect all of your time and energy to a new project that may or may not pay off. Your question made me think of a quote from Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. Learning and creating are inherently vulnerable. There's never enough certainty. People want guarantees. These are my words now. Since new projects involve learning and creation, you're in for a wild ride of uncertainty and risk. Buckle in. It's going to be scary and vulnerable and great. I'll get the annoying caveat out of the way. There's no magic formula and only you have the right answer for you. I encourage you to tap into your inner voice, that little voice in you that instinctively knows the right answer for you in the moment, even when your brains keep saying, I don't know, I don't know. I believe that you already do know. 
With that in mind, here are several questions I would ask yourself, both your ego and your intuition, and finding the alignment between those two parts of yourself in order to guide your next steps. One, what is my motivation for taking on a new project? Is it for a release of creative energy, meaning an unmet need in the business world, distraction from, or procrastination with my current work? Figuring that out is an important first step. Two, what value will the new project bring to me besides money? Does it offer a creative outlet, valuable connections, or new skills? Three, if this doesn't turn into a monetary return on investment, how can I still make it a worthwhile experience? Will I build my portfolio, get new testimonials, sharpen my dedication to my craft? Four, how much do I need to make in my main revenue stream to feel comfortable reallocating some of my time and energy to a new project? And then I said, figuring out a realistic threshold that you need to hit to feel comfortable is important. If you can't make peace with lowering your income at all, even if you can still comfortably pay for your lifestyle, you may be holding too tightly to money and over-identifying with it at the risk of not exploring new interests. Ask yourself what you're giving up by not pursuing new creative ventures. Five. How can I restructure my current work to free up my time and energy for this new project? How can I effectively outsource, create automated drip campaigns, cut back on content production, repurpose old content to free up my time and energy, and rework my daily schedule? Often, cutting back on the hours that we dedicate to a project forces us into making things more efficient out of sheer necessity. Six. Where can I find areas of overlap across my various projects so that I can batch my work to avoid doing double duty? Can I implement the same organizational systems, train one person across both projects, create content in batches? And then I said a printable Venn diagram would be a great tool to pull out for this one, but I will always recommend a Venn diagram whenever possible. That's a good thing to know about me as a human. Number seven, how can I use the 80-20 principle, the idea that 80% of effects come from 20% of causes to get the most bang for my literal and metaphorical buck in my new venture? Given that I have limited time and energy, what are the few activities that will have the biggest impact across my new projects? So again, if you are listening to all of that and you're like, I don't run a business, so I don't really think that this applies to me, think of this in the scheme of your entire life. So think about the different ways that you could free up your time in order to take on new interesting projects or creative endeavors. Maybe you've been trying to take a class but can't seem to find the time. It all ties back to freeing up more space in your life, making intentional decisions, and letting go of what's not serving you. So that is all I have today. Thank you so, so much for listening. And if you have any questions for me that you'd like me to answer on the podcast, I would love, love, love to hear them. It's hello at peakcoaching.co, and I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, and have a great one. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.